There have never been more options for your next vehicle, but the right choice has never been clearer. That's because Toyota has a high-performing hybrid built for your exact needs, like the stylish all-new Camry XSE Hybrid and Venza, the spacious Highlander and all-new Sienna with more cargo space, and the fuel-efficient and high-performing RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota hybrids save you time and money, filling up less often at the gas station. And of course, all with 10-year, 150,000-mile warranty on new models. Take the next step. Visit Toyota. Toyota.com slash hybrid or your local Toyota dealership to learn more. ¿Qué tal amigos? Mi nombre es Roman Rojas y Tremenda Vaina es el podcast donde te contamos cuatro historias que desafían la realidad. De las cuatro historias solamente una es mentira. ¿Cuál será? En el último episodio de Tremenda Vaina te contamos de un muchacho en China que vendió una parte de su cuerpo para comprarse un iPad. ¿Será verdad? ¿Será mentira? Suscríbete en iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify o tu plataforma favorita. También nos puedes seguir en Twitter, Instagram o Facebook. El mundo enfrenta una pandemia. Encuentre respuestas y acceda a información veraz y confirmada en el especial de NTN24 sobre coronavirus COVID-19. Escuche los contenidos de NTN24 en su plataforma de podcast favorita. Hi. Hey. How's it going? Great. This is yet another bonus episode of the Latinos Out Loud podcast. Amazing. Latinos Out Loud. Here we are. My name is Rachel La Loca. Oh, I'm Hongbago. Bless you. Hey, Frank Nibs. Frank, hey. I think you need to put a silencer in the gun that you're using for the intro. Oh. Yeah. It's almost getting a little too loud uh, there, a little all right. enthusiastic. A silencer, <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, I, think you're right. I like these little bonus episodes. They're kind of like finding like change underneath the, the sofa. Ooh, a quarter. Like, oh, a quarter. Or a half dollar. Yeah, you're like, oh, wow. This is, I didn't expect this. I used to do that when I was broke. I used to go to the, the sofa. Be to the sofa. Nice yeah. to find. <laughs> you always got like, you know, like two, three dollars everybody used to drop, you know, inside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Frank used to invite mad people over when he was broke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just sit down. Just relax. Lay right back there. I yeah, was, I got a couch that reclines. Especially the when best, you the best yo, new especially the peeper days because you knew mad people had quarters anyway to to do oh, the, 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 use the payphone. That nigga dropped his beeper there. Oh yo. shit. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is that why you drive Uber? So you could collect everybody's left belongings? Oh, Damn, Rachel. Wow. You got my shit already. Damn, you know my truth. Frank, trip. we're on to you, Frank. I mean, you must wow. find some shit. Oh, no doubt, man. You know, <laughs> Frank's lost and found so, doesn't work. Give us like, a taxi nah, cab confession. You oh. lost that I found it. So. There you go, basically. Wow. Go call Uber headquarters. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Well, here we are. Another bonus. What are we gifting away this time? What's behind door number one, Juan Bago? We're back next week. Oof. Next Already? week we're back. Yeah. Oh, so no more of these bonus ones. No. A real official, um, actual shows. Yeah. Wow. And and now. Are you okay? Do you not want to do the show anymore? <laughs> <laughs> you look upset. <laughs> Do you want to just My do Tuesdays this? are gone you again. Know. No, oh, no, no, I'm going to show up on Tuesdays. <laughs> oh, God. Rachel, the point of the podcast, they don't see my actual face. Oh, oh, so, my bad, my bad. Yeah, my like bad. they don't know the face I'm making and you're, you know, my blowing bad. up spots. 
Mm-mm. Blowing up spots with Rachel. Oh, that's going to be podcast. my new podcast. Yes. Oh, my God. I need to get my theme song. Tibby, do me a favor. Sound like that and just MP3 it over to me. <laughs> Yo, whose spot am I blowing up tonight? Yo, I have Jamie. <laughs> Speaking of blowing up spots. Yo, oh, how about my former best friend? Oh. Veronica, you on line one. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's so much fun. You went to a brunch and you forgot to invite me? Let's talk. <laughs> Rachel, I thought you just wanted to call her to catch up. <laughs> yeah, bitch, we catching yeah, up. Yeah. By the Are way, you, you being shady. <laughs> you on speaker right now. Yo, yeah. by the way, um, Jamie, so how did it feel? You got like, what, almost 200 likes on your Instagram because we were on the WPIX morning show. Wow. It was crazy. It was crazy. Yo, did you have to turn off your notifications? Whoa, Mr. Popular. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty wild. A lot of there's a lot of morning show fans out there. Wow. And yeah. so we were lucky enough. Uh, a former guest of the show, Marisol oh, Castro. Marisol Castro, Castro. Also, Sound of the Mets. Yes, she's the. She's the if you didn't hear that episode, she's your, your favorite team. You and Mike, thank you. That's like the best job too. Like shout out to her, a Latina calling them up to the plate. Did we did we ever tell the audience that we we were in her booth? Yeah. Oh hey. Uh, (laughs) Whoa, whoa, guys. uh, Is there something Does Fatima know that you were in her booth? I don't know. Get your mind out the gutter. Right. That's my podcast. The next podcast. Get your mind out the gutter with Jamie. (laughs) But yo. The no, when we went to the game, she let us go into the booth where she actually um introduces it's the players' madness. names. Wow. And we almost made her F up because she she was talking to us and then the guy was like the what a batter was coming up and she was like, Oh, I gotta I gotta do this. She was like, instead of saying now batting, she was just she said the guy's name, Pete Alonzo. Oh <laughs> and then afterwards she was like, Oh, I have to say now batting, Pete Alonzo. Um, anyways, whatever. What wow. were you saying? And then so but it was funny, like we we almost Got her fired, maybe? I don't know. That's so funny. But what she, a dope job. It is a dope job. So what now is, there is a 9 to 10 a.m. block on this morning show on Pix 11. Mm-hmm. And we were the inaugural guests on the show. <laughs> like, you guys. Wow. Inaugural. That word just sounds sexy, yeah. doesn't it? The inaugural anything is like... Bring it on. Sorry, guys. That was huge for me. Of course. We, we know the way you dressed. <laughs> Frank, you was look like, Where's the red carpet? Frank. <laughs> Rachel, you, hey, Rachel, I dressed accordingly to how you told me. You called me two nights before, and you were like, yo, this wow. is huge. La, la, la. Me and Jamie didn't get that phone call. Okay, okay, yeah, I okay. Wearing, Frank. I was, I was right. wearing my Banana Frank. Republic's finest. Yeah, I was just Frank. wearing a, a, this a sweatshirt. Is, this is how problems start in relationships. Yeah, you're right, you're Friendships right. and wow. relationships. Yeah, that's true. Frank texted me, I need to talk to you call me when you can oh you got one of those yeah oh yeah then that's Frank's, that's I Frank's called podcast. him back. So technically I did call him but I I I answered a call via text the call to the bat signal went mm-hmm. up and so as soon as I was done drying my nails I called you yeah and you told me yo this is for the morning news like we got to be on, on. So I went and I got... And didn't I put that in the group text? Didn't I say something like, mm, no, maybe not. No. Maybe in my head there was a group text that I should have mm. said. Y'all better be up and at them early. No, everybody looked good. Um, everybody was themselves and that's what's, you know, basically. that's what makes us us anyway. Exactly. Like, what did you want us to dress like fucking menudo together? You like, know, no, Mike I got the first thing he saw on the, ha- on the top of the hamper and was like, this smells good enough. And <laughs> oh. No, Mike, Mike, Mike thought it out very well. That, that sure that he had, what was it? It was the... Your, your, Vampires vs. Bronx. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the movie. When is coming out? Uh, this year. 
Very strategic, Mike. Very, very like celebrity-ish thing to do. Like you're on a show and you're hyping, you're do, you're hyping a project. <laughs> well, it's a local. Your, it, hello, it's a it's a no, local. But you're show, wearing a so. shirt with the pro, your name your name of a project you did. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's no, my IMDb, of course. Ah. So, uh, but uh, I hate to say this to you, Jamie. Yeah. I haven't told you yet, but my mom's disappointed that you didn't know. Um, what Three Kings Day was, so yeah, my mom too. I think you you lost mad I mom points. Put on the spot, yeah. Bye. I mean, I thought for it was for comedic <laughs> effect. I thought that me me being put on the spot and having that like awkward pause and you guys bugging out laughing. I thought that was a good moment. Yeah, it was so was, funny. Um, was funny. Well, we laughed because we didn't want to. But I look, I, then I tried to volleyball it back to Rachel. Yeah, I definitely, definitely put you on the spot. It was so funny. But um, that's what we do. That's friendship for you on live you, TV. You know that's what's so funny? Word. And think about it, if Frank would have answered, it would have been some fake news. They would have been like, yo, cut, 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 cut. <laughs> yeah. Get him off, get him off, get him off. Get him off, get him off. Get him off. Did you know that one of the three kings actually slept with Mary? Oh, shit. Oh, my God. Like, what? We're gone. <laughs> It, yeah, so, I mean, and but I, you know, and then Rachel shouted out that I went to Catholic school, and then I admitted that I was actually a three king in a play, <laughs> so I should have been a little bit more Wikipedia-ish with, with, with the answer, but... I don't know if we knew that we were going to be brought on as the experts of Three Kings Day. Like, we know some comedy around it, because right. Jamie's written... You know, some sketches some around. Sketches, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I wasn't ready to history channel it there. You know what I mean? Like, we didn't have enough time. <laughs> like, morning shows are quick. Like, yes. uh, it's like, yo, gets, you know, fast. Yeah. Like, we, we can't, you know, we're used to the podcast right. kind of going in on the topic. But in the morning show, it's like, yo, yeah. you know, Shout people got to go to work. Yeah. Hurry. I was going to just say, like, along those lines, shout out to Marisol reading them words so damn fast on that yeah. teleprompter, looking so good and so natural, really just doing a wonderful, she's wonderful at her job. Yeah. Very, yeah. very professional. We were proud of her. We were proud of her because, I mean, um, they brought a cake out with her, with her and the other new cast members. So it was a really good moment for her as well. So it was great. Yeah, it was good. Maybe we could come back. We could do, you know, more segments, more more Latino hot, maybe hot parades. You know, oh, we could be the go-to for chat for. PIX 11. Oh, Any shit. kind of like sketch in between segments, cut to, you know, us wow. doing a sketch. Dominican Independence Day. Oh, my Lord. We could do Puerto Rican Parade Weekend. Oh, man. Ooh. Jimmy will mess up that explanation, too. <laughs> and do the opening of the next J-Lo movie. Like, just oh, important, man. important Latino moments. Wow. Definitely. That's, That's a so good true. one. That's a good one. Wow. Well, today is a bonus episode because we had the opportunity before 2019 was over to do a special live event with the author, Elizabeth Acevedo. Yes. Um, sorry, guys. You weren't invited for that one. It's all right. You were invited. Stop it. It was packed. It was I saw packed. It on IG. That place was packed. It was well, good. speaking of the place, shout out to Miss, Miss Riso Ms. Salon. Riso's. It was so amazing to be there. There's just this like real like cultural movement behind her business. It's beautiful. I'm rocking the sweatshirt right now. I see that Miss Lisa's with the with the with the George Washington Bridge, my most famous bridge. It's her uh, second salon. The first like, one. Tell the architect of the bridge. <laughs> yo, by the way, Wait, I, had somebody, build the bridge? I had somebody that hit me up. They're like, yo, I, I, you know, I saw the the George Washington Bridge for the first time and I thought of you. I was like, oh, what the wow. fuck? <laughs> Do I talk about wow. it that much? <laughs> she was like, she was like, yeah, you talk about about it all the time about doing a barbecue. I was like, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah, but that's my favorite bridge of all wow, time. Listen, so he has a connection. Right. I do. All our listeners that love Frank. <laughs> Sorry. Miss Reese was, by the way, go ahead, yeah. let's go back to Miss Alcevedo and Miss Reese. Yo, I'm going to rename it. It's going to be the, <laughs> <laughs> the Frank Washington Bridge. <laughs> no doubt. 
<laughs> I'm doing a live Frank Spiracy from the Frank Washington Bridge. That could be your podcast. <laughs> Frank Spiracy from the Bridge. <laughs> wow, there you go. Burning, burning bridges with Frank. Ooh, that's a good one. It's very significant to do what you do from the George Washington Bridge. Burning bridges. <laughs> Um, anyways, back to I the think band. I see a pattern here because um, Miss Eriso is also another former guest. Yeah, and then invites you guys to her, you know, to do this show and in, in her in her in her salon, beauty, in her salon. the mm. second salon, first of which is in La Zona Colonial in Santo Domingo. Wow! And now this mm-hmm. one is right there what in Washington Heights. What a connection! Not only that, but she also said on our podcast that it would be awesome if we did an event. At her place, and we did it. It came true. It was put out into the universe. Yes, and the oh. universe said, "Bing, toma." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And shout out to like all the others that were involved as well: the Dominican writers, Angie Cruz, mm-hmm. um, Word Up Bookstore, and mm-hmm. also to just Carolina for really hosting us and also rolling out the red carpet. We even had a former intern in the audience. Chastity was there yes. with her boyfriend. So that was really nice. And yeah. shout out to Annabelle Soto, a friend of mine, former uh, cheerleader from Midwood High School, who is now a writer herself, Dominican writer. Ooh. She wrote a book called Snowy Day. Check it out. It's for sale right now, a children's book. And she came all the way from like West Bubblefuck to Miss Riso Solan to see Elizabeth Acevedo and us do our thing. Elizabeth Acevedo what can we say about her like this oh experience God. was pretty phenomenal what an experience there's so many She's layers so to awesome. it Yo, she is so real so so real like it was just awesome and then for her to be like such in the moment where she actually performed a poem that she hasn't performed in a very long time she was like it was just really a great great opportunity what a stage presence yeah. she was like do you guys want to hear a poem that I wrote that I haven't shared with anybody come on Acevedo that's like saying like <laughs> I know all you guys love chocolate and I have this new imported chocolate from wow. <laughs> Switzerland that is supposed to be the best in the world do you guys want to taste it Wow. Yes! <laughs> everybody went crazy, but not like audibly, but you could see everybody like, fuck yeah. Hmm. Like they got their bonus live at this event at the salon with Elizabeth Acevedo. I think they really got their money's yeah. worth. Wow. If special. Not, yeah, it was so, special. That's a great event, especially uptown. Yeah. Word. Um, very cool. Midweek at that. Like people came out midweek before the what was it the two days before Christmas, right? Yeah, no, I think it was Sunday. Sunday. The Sunday before Christmas. Yeah, it was awesome. It was great, and so I guess we should just present the Let's episode, just do it. present the audio. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's hear it. Demolo listeners, this show is built Ford proud, sponsored by the Ford Motor Company and the all new 2020 Ford Explorer. So. Please make sure you follow Ford Latino on Facebook and Instagram to get all the information and the latest on the Ford Explorer. Hi, everyone. How's everybody feeling? All right. Let's get comfy. It's so nice to be uptown, settle in Elizabeth. Um... 
I have to say, I have like really fond memories of coming to this very neighborhood, this very vicinity, every crema. Every crema, I would come to my tia Clara's house as she lived up the hill on 193rd in St. Nick. And how appropriate that I'm on San Nicolas. Porque viene San Nicolas, right? I mean, I'm, I'm on the nicest. What about you guys? Bago, you know you're not. You know you're not. You're on the naughty list. I am not getting any gifts. So, and my parents moved to the Dominican Republic. So, you know, I'm not getting. I'm not the way to like, you know, tres reyes to get my gifts. So, the way that things come in. But no, it's the best time of the year. So, but we're excited. To, who's excited for tonight? <laughs> We've been wanting to make this happen for like a year. And you're a busy woman, so we're very, very excited. Thanks for being patient. I was like, man, yeah. they're going to curse me out. Every email was like, yeah, that date did work, but now, how about seven months from now? So they've been super patient. Also, this is my first time ever doing a live podcast, and it's my first time ever doing an event in a salon, which I think is dope as fuck. Yeah. So, like, our right? first time doing an event and in a salon. This was a side of trauma. Now, like, it's like a side of like beauty and love and, and whatever we're about to make together. Bago wants to get his hair washed, apparently. <laughs> I was just thinking if I could get my hair washed. I could definitely use un tratamiento. La punta. <laughs> They're dead. Um, so, yeah, it's so nice to have you. I mean, you. You are like, where in the world is Elizabeth Acevedo? It's, it's all over the country, all over the world. You've been on tour. Are you grounded now for a few weeks? Are you going to stay put? Yeah, so I'm, I'm based in Washington, D.C., which is probably why you don't see me at a lot of New York things unless I'm on a panel or something. And I'm very much a hermit. Probably because I spend so much of my time on the road. I do about 40 to 50 events um, a semester, mostly because I do schools and universities. So I'm doing about 100 events a year, which means that I'm constantly flying and all over. Um, so when I'm home, it's like you don't see me on social media. You don't see me on anything. It's like I'm shut down watching Netflix. All right. Well, we want to jump in. We have a lot of questions for you. And then I'm sure the audience is going to have some pretty awesome questions for you as well. So let's get this Christmas gift started because it's such a gift to be here with all of you guys and you. All right. So my first question is, how and when did you know you wanted to become a storyteller? This is the, a question I get often, right? The origin story. And I think that the origin story changes according to like where you want to pinpoint. Um, I come from people who weren't necessarily the most literate folk. I'm thinking of my grandfather who had a third grade education, but who would memorize these riddles, right, that he would recite for 15, 20 minutes. And so I had this idea of like, what does it mean to tell a story? What does it mean to set up a story so that you have a turn and a twist? And as a kid, you don't know that, right? You're just delighted by the fact that like, this guy knows so many words and can recite them over and over, right? Um, I loved, my mother would tell me all these, uh, I mean, I thought of them as fairy tales, right? But folk tales. She's a campesina, she's from Bonao, she was, um, right outside of Bonao, she was raised in Cotuí as well. Like she was all over because her father was a, he drove oxen, right? So she grew up following him as he like farmed for other people. And so 
she would tell me about La Ciguapa, and she would tell me about Los Duendes. She would tell me all these stories that felt so fantastical. And so when I was little, I just thought that that was the way that stories were told. You memorized, you recited, you passed down things, especially for someone who had no memories of the Dominican Republic. I didn't go until I was eight, but I had all of these ideas of my mother's memories, right? Of this is where I'm from, and there's a rootedness in, in the people, in my family, of who we are. And I think that the stories came from them wanting to translate it because I've always been more proficient in English, at least when I started going to school. And so while there were certain things she would tell me, and of course I understood, but then there was, well, how do I tell it to other people? How do I say it to my friends? How do I say it to you know, folks who don't speak this, who may not understand? And so I think the storytelling, the impetus came from, I want folks to understand who I am. And in order to do that, I have to learn how to translate myself. And I have to learn how to translate the history and the lineage of where I come from. But it was really hip hop. When I was eight, I was like, I want to be a rapper, yeah. right? I just wanted to be, and it's easy. My mom also wanted me to be famous, so she would have me in modeling classes and acting classes, right? It was all this thing, and so I was like, or I could be a rapper. <laughs> like nine years old, bopping to Big Pun, and my mom is like, what is happening right now? Um, but it was, for me, it felt like the same thing. Here is a traditional of oral storytelling where you talk to the people who look like you, who, who come from your space, and you tell them where you're from, right? That felt supernatural to me. Not supernatural, but super natural, right? So you're talking about rapping. So I want to put you on the spot and ask you, who are your favorite top five rappers? And if you had to do karaoke, which is your go-to rap song that you had to go and spit? Okay, so karaoke, and I'm going to answer also the top, would be Eve, right? Love is Blind was like the first song that I like downloaded, right? It was like, I'm going to learn the lyrics. I could sing along to 106 in Park. And so Love is Blind, like at the drop of a dime, I could do that song. And I would say that Eve was also one of the first women rappers of the generation that I was coming up in, right? We had Fox, we had Little Kim, but that was still slightly older than when I was coming into music. But Eve was like at the forefront of, oh, this like dope woman who's talking about really important issues, everything from what does it mean to be a sex worker, what does it mean to like to own your body, to, to create boundaries, but also is a really great lyricist. And so Eve um, felt like she was paving a way, right? And then Lauren Hill was someone who I got put on to. Like she opened the door for me to learn about all these other folks. But I would say Eve, Tupac, Nas, Pun. Oh God, I feel so like you're really committing here. No, of Biggie? all time? Biggie? No, of my five. Not on your list, Biggie Smalls? You know, I just wasn't raised on a lot of Biggie. I think he is a fantastic MC. If we're doing my top five, like who influenced the work over here? Oh, Cardi. Oh, Cardi. Right. How could we forget Cardi? Which I don't think was foundational when I was growing up, but in terms of what, what it feels like to look at the television and be like, oh, I know her. Like that felt really powerful to see someone who felt like she was of us. And, it, and, and it's now global, but to still be like, but she's not really yours, like she's really mine, right? <laughs> I don't think I'd ever felt that until Cardi, like that, that ownership of she's ours though, you know? Okay, Elizabeth, you have two published novels out there right now, third in the works coming in May, yeah. right? Yeah, around the corner. What they're doing is part of the title of the book, they're clapping. Right? Yes, the title of the book is Clap When You Land. 
Well, I, I'm going to ask you a very, what may seem like a basic question. How do you write a book? Like, do you go into, like, like, do you have a chisel and a rock? Do you have an old school typewriter? Do you use Microsoft Word? Do you use iPhone Notes? Or like, do you freestyle? Like, how do, how does Elizabeth write a freaking book? I, um, my process is very much according to when I have time to sit. I can revise on the road, I can edit on the road, because that's a different brain, right? That's looking at something and just like cleaning it up. That's making it better. To be creative, I can't have a lot of voices in my head. So like it would be hard for me to do this event, talk with you all, talk about myself for half an hour, have you ask questions and then go home and be like, let me come up with a whole new scenario. I've just sat with too many other folks and like their energy and with myself to be able to leave that. So I can only write when I'm on break, which means that I write in the summer because that's when I have the longest period of time to, to, to draft. But what that also means is that I have exactly three months to write a project, right? Because there's no room, otherwise it's gonna have to wait an entire year. So I, I can write quickly, but it's partly under duress, right? Um, but also a lot of folks don't know that a lot of these projects were done long before my first book was published, right? It's easy when you, when you show up one day, you have book after book after book, and people are like, she's so fast, she's so prolific, she's this, that, and the third. I'm like, no, I've been actively writing since 2012. I was in grad school, I was a teacher, and I wrote every day. I would write on the train in my notes app, I would write in my little notebooks during prep. I was like thinking of characters, I'd be on the treadmill and I'm thinking of problems. Like I don't, I was working for a long time before the book came out. And so when they were like, all right, what do you have next? I'm like, man, I got, I got things for you, right? <laughs> so it's not that it's fast, it's that it was quiet and diligent for a long time before the first thing got picked up. So do you have space and time to kind of create new stuff that obviously won't come out in, in the near future, but how, where does that come from? Where's the source of inspiration? And again, like if you're gonna have some material, like what do you do? Like you write some part and then just put it to the side for a couple of years? The source? I feel like this is like a question you gotta ask your priest. Like, I don't know what the, you know what I mean? Like, the source, no, I think it really is, I think creativity is um, is a channeling of something that I don't, I don't know what that is, right? Like, the reason that I begin the question of what is your origin with homage to who I come from is because like there is a source of what does it mean to be a child and the things you hear and the language you hear and to be inspired by that. And I think that's what writers feel. It's like you see a story in anything. I was getting my nails and I had been on the road for a while. The manicurist is holding my hand. I was lonely, right, because I hadn't seen someone who I knew. And she's making me pretty. She's massaging. I got lotion. I'm like, yo, you love me. She gave you the hot towel. Right. Did she give you the hot towel? I'm like, Ooh, I love you the hot love towel. Me. But, but to me, like, that is a poem. It's like, how do you talk about the human experience in an, a well-observed moment? And I think what writers do is they find those moments in any little thing. It's not write about love, write about revolution. It's write about being human in a way that folks can identify, but maybe in an image that they have never thought of as like, oh, that's the perfect image for loneliness. Even as you're being held, you feel like you, you're unloved. Right? Like, it's, it's finding those things. And, and I, don't, I don't presume to believe that that's something that, like, is 
original to me. I think that there is a channeling. I think there is a connection with like ancestors. I think there's a connection with community. There is a, it's a loop. I'll read poems or I'll read books by other people. And I'm like, I don't know how we wrote this independently because they're literally talking to each other. But this is someone I've never met. And there has to be something greater at play there for so many people to be in accord. You know what I mean? And so I don't, I can't name that. I don't know what that is. I think writers spend their whole lives trying to figure it out. What I know is that for a long time, I used to fear there was magic in writing and it would be taken from me, right? If I, I got to get everything out now because one day I might not be inspired. And I think that that can be great when you're young because it, you, it makes you work, but I think it makes you fearful of the thing that you should love and the thing that honestly loves you back because it shows up for you, right? And so what I try to think of now is just a generosity of like some, you know, there's clarity and there's something that I need to be saying. And I trust that as long as I'm here, that will keep showing up. And if it doesn't, then I've said what I needed to say. Speaking of the things that you need to say, I recently watched your interview of Julia Alvarez at the CUNY Graduate Center while I was wrapping Christmas presents. It was like the best activity She's I highly, amazing. highly suggested. First of all, I have two kids. I can't believe how many freaking gifts there are in my apartment. Um, anyway, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> so... It was very pleasurable listening to this interview, and you brought something up, well, you brought several topics up that I thought were fascinating, but one of the things that you talked about is literary multiculturalism, and my question to you is, do you think there are enough of these stories being told? Do you think it's a field that, you know, really, is there a call to arms right now for writers to really shout our stories? Where we at? I don't know. I'm trying to think. Did you catch the pessimist today or the optimist? What Liz is sitting in this chair, Who is right? next to me right um, now? No, I, I is the glass half full right. or it's half empty? Shit. I think... <laughs> oh, no. There's no water in this cup, y'all. It's, it's empty. Um, no, I think that there's a... We're in an amazing moment, right? Where where the literary landscape has been revolutionized in terms of self-publishing, which I think allow, allowed a lot of marginalized writers who usually would not get their stories out into the world to be able to say, if big publishing, if big publicists, if this editor don't want my work, I can still figure out a way, right? Like Dominican Writers Association has been doing so much work in supporting writers who for a long time weren't able to get their books picked up. I think there are more agents, more editors, more people of color in publishing who are able to open the doors. I, I don't know that I will in my lifetime be at a moment where I'm like, oh, you know what? We have enough. We're good now. It, it, is, it, I, it feels like an impossibility because for my whole life I have been so hungry for stories that resonated right? That, that felt like me. And I, I probably because I don't read in Spanish. And so it's like there was a disconnect between Dominican literature that I had access to that I could read. So it was a very limited number of people who I, who I was working with, who I could understand at that level. And what we're seeing right now is there are more writers coming through. But I don't know that as a reader, I'll ever be able to read enough. You know, like when you live your whole life hungry to see images of yourself, you could walk through as many galleries as you want, you're still going to want to see more. Because for 31 years, there was no story like mine that existed in the world. And I think we're seeing it. We're literally in a salon full of people who showed up on a Sunday before Christmas. And I think it's because people resonated with a story that maybe they hadn't seen before. Right? It doesn't, it, it, it astounds me, but it also is just such a reminder of like, this is the work. When I sat next to Julia, I was shaking, right? Like I was like trembling because this is my idol. This was the writer. That's it. 
That's it. Her books were the only ones growing up on any bookshelf or who were given any merit by any type of school setting, you know? And so it's like, how do you go from that? There were, you could give me 300, 500, 1,000 writers and I'm still gonna wanna see more. And what I will say is that we also just need more writers because we can't have the single story, right? And that's Chimamanda Adichie's um, incredible theory of, or not incredible theory, but she's named it, where I don't want my book, The Poet X, to be the one depiction that young women have of this is a young Dominicana. That is a very particular kind of story with a very particular family dynamic. And if people are reading that and be like, all oh, Dominicans, like, that's a problem. So we need other coming of age stories. We need other stories so that people can say, oh, look at the diversity within communities that we think are monolithic, because we're not. And I know there are people that don't mess with my books because they're like, well, actually, my experience was this. And I'm like, that's dope. Like, I can't wait to the day when you could pick and choose. Like, oh, I loved all these books, but this one was really me. And I hope we get there. My question to you for, for now that we're in 2019, 2020, and social media is such an influence as far as being able to talk to your, your fans, people that read your stuff. Can you tell me some pros and cons of how social media has worked for you? I mean, I think the pros are it, it connected me to folks who, it, it can be easy to feel like you're the only person of your kind of experience, particularly if you are um, progressive or radical or an artist um, in a community where your immigrant parents came and are like, you need to be an engineer, and you need to send money back, and you need to do this, right? Um, and so I think social media was like, oh, I, like a lot of us exist, like, and I'm not that special. Like I'm no snowflake, right? Like <laughs> I'm actually behind the curve in some things. I remember when I saw Miss Risa, and I'm like, wait a minute, what? Like she'd been out here doing this for years, talking about natural hair, and and we'd been doing it in our own lanes. So I think that realization that what you're doing, someone else is doing in a completely different city, but in the same vein, that connection is dope. Right? When I get little like messages from 12 year olds who are like, I read your book, I loved it, can you send my class a video? And I'm like, oh my God, bless your heart, right? Like, like it's so sweet. So I love that. I, I think the same walls that it breaks though can be a lot. Like people, people have an access to you um, that they feel entitled to have. And that is, is so strange to me. And sometimes I feel very old school because I'm like, you gotta email. You know what I mean? Like that's a business inquiry. Like you better email me. Like I'm not like, DMs ain't for like, you trying to book me somewhere, you know, like, and then I feel bad because I'm like, well, maybe they don't know, but I'm like, no, but they should know better, right? Am I just old? It feels old, right? But I, I think for me, there are protocols that I was taught to follow. Like, this is how you write a, a letterhead. This is how you approach people when you need something. This is how you write a proposal. So when people are like DMing me and it's like, can you give me 10 pieces of advice on how to be a better writer? <laughs> you better pay for the master class. <laughs> I'm trying to eat. Yeah, but when, but then when you come from places where you're like, yo, but I remember having questions and not knowing where to go. I don't know if I would have written like my favorite writer with those questions. So I, but then I appreciate the gumption because I'm like, yo, that's a lot of bravado I did not have, right? But it's also like, what, what does it mean to say, well, one, I want people to be able to do research. And that's the teacher in me that's like, you could Google this. I've answered this 10 times, you could Google that. But the person in me that also recognizes like, yo, there's, there's a connection that they feel and, and um, you have the answers. And it was because of what I read that the questions even came up. And so you're the source of the answer and the question. So I have to come to you. And I know what it feels like to have that hunger of, I wanna do this thing that you, that you showed me I could do. Can you like just show me the path? And the hardest thing is telling someone like, yo, there's no blueprint. There's no blueprint. I can't pass you the map. Like there's, there's nothing I can do outside of telling you like my process looked like this. Your process should look completely different because I haven't walked in the shoes that you walked in. 
but I don't say that over DM. Like people email me, all emails get response even if it's someone else responding, but, but I, I try to keep certain things private and social media, one of the cons is it's really hard to keep those boundaries. Well, that's a good segue to my next question, but I wanted to comment on what you're saying because I think there's a parallel in the podcast space because we're out there doing something that not many Latinos are doing. We're sketch comedians doing a podcast, moving Latinos forward while making them laugh. And these listeners are listening to every single word we're saying. So much so that they hit us up in the DM and it's like, Rachel, how's your son feeling? Did he get over the fever? And I'm like, oh yeah, I said it on last week's episode. I feel like, are they stalking me? Yeah. I'm like, thank you. That was a lie. Got it, got it. But please mind your own business. Um, No, just kidding. It's beautiful and it's wonderful. But let's go back to the segue. So I know you get the emails, the DMs. I would like to know if there was ever one that really stuck out in your mind. Like, is there one that you received that you just, La Llorona, like you just started crying or like some, maybe a special note that took you to an emotional place. Does something stick out in your mind that you've received from a fan? I think the the one thing that constantly hits home and it sometimes it's via email sometimes it's someone will say it to me I was actually doing an event at Horace Mann and one of the teachers came up to me and she's like my mother is also a teacher and she's driving from Connecticut to be here she was Dominican and she's like I read your book and I immediately bought it for her so she could read it because there was so much that we never talked about that I knew we needed to talk about but we needed a place to start from and the book was that for me and so then her mother came down and watched my event at this really prestigious school I never even been to Riverdale is that what that neighborhood I was like, where am I? I thought I was going to like a New York City public school, right? Because I showed up and was like... Meanwhile, guess what? It's still the Bronx. It's still the Bronx, you know? But they want to be fancy on the envelope, be like Riverdale 10461. Come on, it's the Bronx. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't see the PS, but some of these schools are getting really fancy. They just got names. So I was like, all right, cool. Um, And it kind of rang a bell, but I haven't been in high school in so long. I just didn't have it top of mind. So the mom comes and the mom pulls me aside and she was, you know, una doña, like much, you know, because the, the, the daughter was my age at that point. And she's like, you know, I read your book and immediately apologized to my daughter because there was so much I, I was so afraid when I was raising her. There was so much I couldn't see. And reading your book, it made me, it echoed so much what she was trying to say. And when that happens, I'm always just completely taken aback. Or when mother daughters come to the events and it's like, we read your book together. Because there is something about that intergenerational connection that, like, I remember going to 14th Street, which had one of the few bilingual bookstores. 14th Street and Dykeman had one. And buying Julia Alvarez in the name of Salome in, in English for myself and in Spanish for my mom. Because I wanted to have at least one piece of literature we had both read that we could talk about. Because I was a big bookworm, but there were few books that we could connect on. And so to see that for me is just like that is the point of storytelling right that is what it does it brings together these moments of of from top to bottom but then also how do we talk and how do we give language to the things we that wound us that maybe we could never say but now we have a text that we could return to to like help us break that apart like that feels um like such a gift when people tell me that my work was able to do that so you have two published books and you have one coming out next year can you give our audience here a little preview of what the third book is going to be about yes um clap when you land is loosely based on um a flight that crashed in New York City in 2001. I give this this spiel often and people in the audience are like, tell me more. And of course you all are like, yeah, girl, we know, right? <laughs> and, and that's the point, right? So 2001, um, two months after 9-11, a plane falls on its way to Santo Domingo and it falls in Queens, right? Um, it, it kills... 
close to 300 people, many of whom were Dominican nationals, including five people on the ground. Um, neighbors, I remember the neighbor next door, my classmates' parents, right, the barber, like all these people in the community who were on that flight. And it rocked us. I was young, right? I was, I was probably like 12, 13. Uh, but I remember my father looking at the newspaper every day. We had the television on and just like wanting to know like what happened. And initially it was like, was it another terrorist attack? Right. And then when they realized, oh, no, it was just engine failure and, and pilot and mechanical. It was like forgotten off the news. Right. But not for us. Not for us. Like, I, I just remember I remember my neighbors. I remember seeing I remember the vigils outside of the doorways. I remember how long the candles were there. I remember seeing these kids that I knew and their dad that I knew and, and how their life changed. And so I always came back to that. And I've loved the tradition of when your plane lands, you clap, right? Which these days, less and less, depending on where Sometimes you're, you're the only one and you're like, yeah. <laughs> proudly, right? Proudly. Stop. Stop. Proudly. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know you want to be all loud and shit. Like, ay, gracias, Dios. But it's, it's such a beautiful thing. And so I've always wanted to kind of talk about this story. And Clap When You Land is set now, so it's not that time period, but it's about two sisters, one in the Dominican Republic, one in New York City, whose father had a secret family. And he dies in a plane crash, and one of them inherits money, right? Which was very true. People received grievance pay before they were able to, to do lawsuits in the hope that they wouldn't sue. And so it's very common that airlines will give you money in advance, hoping that you just won't get a lawyer, right? And so one of them receives grievance pay and the other sister then learns like wait where's wasn't I supposed to get something but they don't know about her and so the sisters learn about each other and it's it's touching on a lot of things I think this is probably one of my most ambitious novels which is why it's taken such a long time to come full scope because it is talking on what is sex tourism like what how do we talk about them in the Dominican Republic how do we talk about families that are complicated how we talk about parents that are not perfect that are not heroes but also redeem them because because our parents are human right and how do you give humanity to all of these aspects and so one sister is frantically trying to get to the u.s to try to better the circumstances her father has left her in and the sister in, in new york is trying to accompany her father's body back so it's like they're racing um towards each other what were some of the things you had to research for this novel? Like, did you listen to black box recordings? Were you on the ground directing planes? Like, were you listen, method? Like, what were some I'm of the things? I'm always so scared that the FBI is going to show up one day and just be like... <laughs> We really got to talk about your searches because I'm like embalming fluid. How long does a body last in the ocean before it deteriorates? Um, what is the, how long does it take for that kind of investigation to happen? How do you claim remains, right? Like in deadly crashes, like there are literally people who make their life off of going into like deadly crash zones and just identifying every single hair, every, every single thing they can so that they can return something, something to families, right? And so just going going down that path, but then also the legalities of it. What is grievance pay? How do lawyers work? Can you get money far in advance? What does that look like? How do you inherit money? How do you inherit money when someone was in a bigamous relationship? What does that look like? So I, my searches for, for a young adult novel, right, were wild. Did you have to call Trollman, Glazer, Lichtman, Buenos Abogados, <laughs> y Buenos Amigos? Because that would be my first oh go-to if I were gosh. doing the research. Y pregunta por Margarita. Don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That flight funny, well, not funny enough, but flight AA587 was the second deadliest crash in U.S. history. And so there are actually several documentaries about that crash. So I did watch a lot of um, the, the research around that and a lot of research. 
It sounds like not so much fun, but fun. Um, oh, it's fascinating. So if you go down a rabbit hole, fun. you're like, wait, none of, I'm never putting embalming fluid in a book. But now I know a lot about how to embalm a body. I'm curious about it only because, I don't know, I also found this really weird FAA.gov wormhole that I went through one night. And I just started reading black box recording like PDA. I don't know why. I, I was not in a dark place. But it's really interesting because all this information is public. Um, but I cannot wait for your book to come out. Okay, Elizabeth, uh, our podcast, um, our audience often is comprised of aspiring writers, entertainers, seeking advice. They want to move forward. So we like to provide our listeners with, you know, those nuggets, the advice nuggets. Specifically, if, if you were talking to this pool of Latinas, young Latinas, aspiring writers, what are some nuggets that you would share with them right now? They're listening. I, I think I would start with, I get a lot of emails requesting mentorship. And um, I, I hope that more people realize that there's a lot that can be learned cross peer. Like people, like people who email me and don't know me, I'm like, you don't want my feedback because you don't, you, how do you trust me with your work? You don't know how tender I'm going to be. You don't know if I'm going to understand what the context is. Like, I may come in and the kind of style that you need to receive feedback, and I'm over here with red pen, and you're like, oh, I'm not a writer. Or I may come in and I'm super gentle, and all I do is ask questions, and you're like, well, that was a waste of time. Because we have not created a rapport for me to know, like, okay, as a writer, here's how I nurture your craft, which is something that I can do if I'm giving a class, if I'm working with someone long-term, right? There has to be a relationship. So what I want, what I, what I hope folks will do, and I found really useful, I didn't have mentors for a long time, but I had a a really strong peer group and we were constantly reading our work and we were constantly trying to one-up each other you wrote that that was dope I'm gonna go over here and like exercise you know I'm a, I'm a steal I'm gonna do this and then we show it to each other and we work on it and we move forward and that's still the peer group that I show my work to now right and it's been like 10 years and so it's it's just my writers group when you have a writers group came from other poets who were also slamming, who would send me poems, and I would look at them, and I would send them poems, and we compete with them, and be like, "That was good feedback because that poem did well, right?" And so it, it, that it can start laterally. I think people want to know like what's that next step, and that can be really important to have a mentor. But I think it's also what's your peer group look like? Who do you know that you can trust working? Who's in the same place? Because that means that their investment in your work is going to be equal, right? Like I could be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna look at this. I'll get back to you in four months, right?" Because I'm still doing my own thing. I'm gonna get to this when I get to this versus someone who's like wait I want my feedback on my stuff so I'm gonna go ahead and be quick you know like there's a different capacity to to grow together there that I think that people don't give enough credence to and that can be easy that could be putting it on social media you I'm just trying to meet up with someone once a month and like go over poems right that could be I'm trying to sign up for a class but I'm nervous to do it by myself anybody want to join in and do like a community workshop like that it can be a lot of different ways that that looks like but I just I think that writers groups can be incredibly helpful um I would say stop looking for permission, which I feel like is the number one thing people want me to tell them, no, you're a real writer. Like if you wake up and you, you work with language and you think about story and you obsess with story and when you read a book, you're literally thinking, how did this person do this? I would have done this differently. Man, my character would have, you're already a writer. Like stop looking for any gateway, any medal, any award, any publication to tell you otherwise. You could never show that to anyone in the world and you are still already a writer. And I think folks need to remember that. And also my last little nugget, you could be, you could be a. And you don't have to DM. You're finding out right now. Don't DM because you're not going to get an answer. Se fue la luz. 
no, my, my last thing would just be that I think that sometimes writers think they have to put everything out. Like, it's okay to be patient. I've had a poetry collection I've been working on since 2014. And it's come this close to publishing and I pulled it back because it wasn't ready. And I just wish most folks would realize, like, if it's not ready, it's not ready. It doesn't matter how fast people are doing things. It doesn't matter this poet has 10,000 likes for every single poetry post they put up. Like, if your stuff isn't ready, there's no reason to rush. The work can wait. You know what I mean? Like, you have to make sure that it's meeting the standard that you want it to meet. And I feel like some folks put things out and they're like, oh, I wasn't proud of that. I didn't feel good about that. Like, why do you rush yourself to do that? I have so many poems that will never see the light of the world. They weren't meant for anybody. They were just for me. And I, I think that that distinction of, okay, this has the merit to be understood and has the clarity for an audience to get it versus this was me and my therapy and my catharsis that I don't have to invite anyone to. And those are different things. They're different projects inherently of what they're connecting to, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes I'll be saying stuff. I'm like, yes. I know. No, it's great. Uh, it sounded really good here. <laughs> yeah, the silence is awe, Elizabeth. I, I'm sorry to tell you. The silence is we want to hear every word she's saying. I want to hear her breathe. Um... <laughs> Before we segue to the next question, okay, now is the time to hit us up in the DM. We are Latinos Out Loud if you have a question for Elizabeth. So the way it will work is silently type a question because, you know, we're going to carry on with the interview. It's the, like, classiest, most, like, <laughs> we're going to make sure to, like, curate these questions. Y'all are it's cute. Like, it's like a welcome to Sotheby's. Uh, we're going to be auctioning <laughs> off the opportunity it's to a ask. silent auction. It's a silent auction to ask Elizabeth Acevedo a question. So just hit us up in the DM. We are Latinos Out Loud. We're not going to grade you on spelling, although she may. She's a teacher. I'm not even looking. I don't even know where the questions are. I'm okay. not checking DMs. Okay. <laughs> We'll, we're going to check the DM and then we'll call on you and I'll rush over to you and give you the microphone and then you can ask the question yourself. Okay? So as sketch writers, I don't know if you can attest to this, Juan Bago, but we often get stuck. Like, what's the button in the sketch? How are we going to end it? Is it going to be funny? Is it going to be a blackout? Is it going to be a dun-dun-dun-dun-dun? Hey, you know, like how many times do you end a sketch like that? What do you do when you feel that block or do you not feel the block? Um, I am not a linear writer, which helps a lot with the block. So I may approach a point in the story and I don't know where to go. I don't know the answer. What, how am I going to fix this? Um, if you've read the Poet X, the, you know, I thought that novel was going to end halfway through. The, the, the ending point I had in my head was Yomara kisses a boy on the train. She gets caught. And then, like, quickly, we're going to be done with this story, right? Because there's nowhere to go from there. And as I was writing, I realized, oh, no, there's more writing, but I don't know what that is. And so because I kind of just jump around to the most exciting thing, I was like, well, I don't know. I'm going to throw her in a slam and let's see how that works. And, like, well, what about these other things? So I am quick to just write different things that may or may not work, but at least get me in the character's head and get me moving and creating story. Um so that I may not be solving this problem, but by figuring out who this character is and where they end up, it gives me more information when I come back to the problem, right? But it also just keeps me writing. That, that oftentimes that block is just a fear of, am I making the right choice? I have a lot of choices of what could happen. And, and I'm an incredibly indecisive person, so writing is hard, because I'm like, well, she could make out with him and not get caught. She could make out with him and get caught by her dad. Or, but what if her mom's so like, there's all these options. Yes. What if it's not the perfect option for the story? And that's like a lot of pressure to put on something. So writing different things that still excite me, but also get me closer to, this character would make a very specific choice. 
because of the lifestyle, the, the ways that she's raised, if I can just figure out who she is, she's going to tell me what the choice has to be. And I get as close to character. I'm not a plot-driven writer. If you come to my books because you're like, oh, there's going to be an exciting twist. Like, oh, baby. No, like, there's no... Like, that's no, not, sorry. No, that's not There are writers happen. who do that well. I'm like, you want to show up and know about girls' feelings? I got you, right? <laughs> that's my bag. And so I just get close to the character and let them tell me. But um, I don't believe in writer's block, and that helps. I fundamentally do not believe it exists. And if I don't believe in it, it can't show up, right? Yeah. Well, Elizabeth, this is the time of the talk back where you're going to be reading some, some part from your book. So um, you can do the intro of what part it is and what book and uh, get ready. I'm actually going to read from um, Beast Girl, which is the first collection of poetry. Mommy came to this country as a nanny. And around the same time, she tells me I can't walk the house wearing only panties anymore. She teaches me how to hand wash them in the sink, puts soap on the crotch, folds the fabric on itself, Holds me how knuckles against hands make the seemingly most dirty a clean thing again. Nothing ever made me more woman in mommy's eyes than this learning how to wash my own ass. This turning of the shower rod into a garland of intimates. It's this memory that tightens my fist that first week of freshman year when Katie Kerr's mother, who has a throat made for real pearls, points her unsoftened mouth at me and says, you better take care of Katie. She's always had help. And I have to blink and blink and blink and leave unmentioned all the ways my hands have learned to care for things like her. Caitlin Kerr's mother really did say that to me. I also didn't know that you weren't supposed to hand wash your panties in college. <laughs> My mother didn't put intimates in the washing machine. She's like, eso no lo limpia bien, right? And so when I got to college, I'm like, doo doo doo, right? And hanging it up, and my roommates are like, um, you can't just have your drawers out. <laughs> Which is besides the fact that Caitlin Kerr's mother was like super privileged and like was basically trying to teach me like the help. And what about your roommates, like boyfriends? Like, I'm gonna chill over here by the panties. <laughs> Yo no me metía en eso. What you do in the bathrooms on you? <laughs> Dominican superstitions. For sleeping, don't fall asleep with your knees up or you'll invite a ghost to mount you. For ghosts, never ask them what they want. That's some American shit. <laughs> For ghosts that won't leave, use frankincense, conduct a rosary circle, lead them to a tree that guards gold. For nightmares, upon waking, speak your dreams into the air. The witnessing daylight will prevent them from coming true. For nightmares in which teeth crumble like aged cassava, someone you love has died. The teeth always know. For menstrual periods, don't touch any child not your own and don't wash your hair until you've bled for five days. For the evil eye, cross yourself and stay away from folks who would give a compliment but do not follow it with a blessing. For kitchens, open an oven or open a refrigerator but heat and cold air should never tangle in the same body. For men, feed them well and feed them often. The fatter the man, the more likely he's too heavy to leave. For cheating... Watch out if you skip a hoop while fastening your belt because one too many times means someone else has been minding your man. For superstitions, treat them like salt. 
scatter them before you leave and let them impale themselves into the soles of your feet. I once broke up with a boy in middle school because I skipped a belt hoop. <laughs> and I was like, this, he's out here with Rachel. <laughs> I don't even know where that came. Y'all heard that growing up? You can't skip a belt hoop because you were cheated on? All the women in the room were like, uh-huh, yep. Oh my God. Does anybody have another one? What's another, um, what do you call these, like, folkloric, uh, yeah, superstitions? Anybody? You can shout one out. There's Go ahead, so girl. Don't buy sneakers. Don't buy your man's sneakers or shoes. Why? Because he'll walk away? Because he'll walk away. Um, the purse one. Yeah, the purse one is a big one, right? Don't put your purse on the floor. Yes, don't put your purse no on the floor. No one even thought of that because it's just so automatically ingrained, right? I be seeing white women, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> dinero, right? Like, that's such a big one. <laughs> it's a big one. Bago, do you have one? Yeah, that was the one, the shoes. The shoes? Oh, okay. Yeah, that once happened in junior high school. I bought him favor shoes. That's why he walked away, though. <laughs> um, okay, so do you have something else to read, or should we get to a question from Let's an... some questions. Okay, yeah. cool. All right. This first question is Chastity Caprice. Where you went? Okay, okay, okay. Um, okay, so in the book uh, Fire on High, Amani, she's... Puerto Rican or half Puerto Rican, right? So with you as a Dominican, how do you connect with Amani, with her being Puerto Rican? So this project was really interesting. With The Fire on High was written in 2013 during National Novel Writing Month. And um, I was in grad school working on poetry. So I was working on my thesis. I wasn't supposed to be doing anything with fiction and I hadn't really worked with prose. And I decided to take on a project. I love Chopped. I was watching the Food Network channel. It was a teen competition. I had, I had formerly been an eighth grade teacher. So I'm looking at this competition. I'm like, yo, there are so many young women who I know who would kill on this show, right? Who are literally playing Chopped at home every day. And what would it mean for that young person to be a protagonist? And I'm always mindful of like, who are the protagonists that we don't anticipate to be the ones who save themselves? And, and single mothers are one that it's a very easy, right way to go. So I already had all of that, but I also knew I didn't want it to be based in New York. There's just a lot of stories about New Yorkers. So I wanted to find a different city. And Philadelphia is a, is a city that has a lot of technical high schools and has maintained a lot of technical high schools. It would be a, a, a spot where you can base um, a character who's taking culinary arts classes, right? It's also a city that has a big Latinx population. That population historically has been Puerto Rican. And I wanted to pay homage to that city and to that community, right? And to like, what does it mean to, to, to come from that place and to have built that place? My mother, when she first moved here, moved to Puerto Rico. She worked in Puerto Rico for, for three years. Um, a lot of the things that she cooks, because she did work as a nanny, but as a nanny who basically cooked and cleaned and took care of the kids, were Puerto Rican dishes, right? And so in a book about food, to think about like what were the dishes that I came up eating, and, and um, she would kill me because she'd be like, no, yo soy dominicano. I just like called it whatever they needed me to call it, so they would let me come through. But, but she is influenced by that. And our islands, you know, have influenced each other historically right I so it was it was really those basis I had worked in Philadelphia I had taught seniors in high school many of whom were Puerto Rican so it was um, that connection but there was a lot of research I had to get beta readers who were Puerto Rican beta readers like I didn't take for granted that there was a lot I don't know <clears throat> right this is not my ethnicity this is not the culture I grew up in there's still slight differences 
uh, or not slight, there are differences. And so I, I did a good amount of work. I think what I would be curious to do if I were to rewrite it, and this is the plight of the writer, right? You're like, if I were to write it now, I would be so curious about the Dominicans who moved to Puerto Rico and raised their children there, right? And what would it mean if Imani's father was actually Dominican ancestry? What is that? What is your island identity if it's split in that way? Um, and so that would be something I might play with now. But I really just wanted to, to be honest and truthful to the community I was writing about. Okay, does anybody in the audience have a question? Because you're a little lazy with the DMs. So maybe... It's too high tech, I'm telling you. Maybe we got to just go old school and yeah. I'll call, you know, I mean, I don't see any other DMs. Uh, but I'll check again. Did you? Hold on a second. Maybe it's the Wi-Fi. Oh, there's something the writer was too. Oh. We got one. So, the writer's block. Who is the writer's block? Are you here? Hey, girl! What's up? What's your name? Jess. We have a question from Jess. So, I went to one of your events, and I personally felt like I couldn't relate to the audience because they were all white. And it was just, it just felt a little awkward for me. So, have you ever been in front of an audience that you felt you couldn't relate to, but you had to push through? Yeah. Oh, all the time. This is like a blessing. I'm very rarely doing events in New York. Um, and so everywhere from Kansas to Idaho to Alaska, they've never even seen a Dominican. They've never heard of the term Afro-Latinidad. They, they're, um, I may be the first person of color who's ever spoken out loud in front of these audiences. And I don't change what I say or how I say things. And so it's, it's, for many folks, it's like we've never even met an, an East Coast person. Like, like the, the levels of what we think like identity comes down to, it's like it, it can be so massive in terms of just, we, you know, like, I don't even know what this is, like farm country Kansas, where they're like, well, like the world that we know is very specific. And so it's, it can be hard because I think I come in fearfully, right? Like, how are they going to push back? How are they going to question whether or not my story is true? And not the story in the book, but the story that I tell when I'm presenting. Um, and I have to fall back on like storytelling in this connection is, is the original art form that connected humans that created community right before you were nomads before you when you finally gathered together it was this connection of language that that can bring us home and the truth deserves to be told whether or not i'm in an audience where i'm really afraid because it's an all-boys school in wherever right which is like the epitome of like young white men scare me the most out of anyone when i'm doing a presentation because the level of what that antagonism could look like is so scary to me. And because I know that I'm pushing and talking about race and gender in the way that I do in immigrant issues and, and LGBTQ and all of my books, which touch on these things, I know it can be fraught um, and just still feels critical, maybe especially because of that, especially because they may never see someone doing that again, especially because they may not have been challenged in that way or may have wanted to challenge, but have never had someone tell them like, yo, that thing you feel when you want to push back because something doesn't feel right, like that's okay to feel, that's okay to say, like I need you I need you to go home and push back um so I just try to remind myself of like these bigger these bigger things that can take me out of my own anxiousness but it's not easy right and, and one of the publishing thing the book things is that it's very white and I've, I've tried to be so intentional about ensuring that my events don't look like that there are a lot of writers who can't launch a book in New York because they won't have people come out right and oftentimes when people do come out it's the same demographic of white folks who have always come out who are tapped into literary circles but it's why I've always partnered with Dominican Writers Association when I do events in New York in DC I partner with Mahogany Books which is black owned or with 
with East City Books, which is woman owned. Like I try to be particular about where we hold books. I've never had a launch that wasn't up of 116th Street, right? And really, honestly, 165th was my first book launch. So I launch in the communities that I want to be reading my work. And that feels, you know, like a way to kind of carve that. But not as scary as shit. I don't know. Sometimes I show up and I'm like, why did y'all bring me here? <laughs> when like you don't have not one kid who looks like me. But I don't know. I mean, I'm not gonna be mad at a paycheck. Okay. But it's hard, but it's hard. It's, it's, it's a different kind of work than when I go to the Bronx or I go to Brooklyn or I go to the Heights. Those, those are very different challenges. All right, we have one last question. Ms. underscore femme fatal. <laughs> yes! Femme fatal, I'm coming for you. Hey girl, what's your name? Uh, my name is Marjorie. Hi. So my question is, I read Poetex. So how much of Xiomara's story is part of your own personal story growing up? Because I was like, ooh, I know her. I was like, does she have a twin brother? <laughs> Did she marry this guy? So how much of Xiomara is part of Elizabeth? Yeah, I would say very few of the actual things that happened to her. Like, not the plot. Um, my, As I told you, my mother very much wanted me to be famous. She was at every single one of my poetry slams. Like, number one supporter. Um, so that was very different. She never made me kneel on rice. That was actually something that had happened to her. Um, and so there were things that I borrowed, but but in very different capacities. I would say the emotional truths of Imani, of, not Imani, of Siomara are very much my own, right? So growing up and having questions about religion and about Catholicism specifically, and my place in that, when all you see are like these white men saints who, you know, these blue-eyed, you know, I don't know what that is. I don't know, I don't know how I can relate to that. I also don't know how to relate to the way that gender is being told, where particularly with with the way that gender can be constructed in Dominican communities of like be sexy, be Miss Universe, be beautiful, flaunt to an extent, go to sleep with a belt around your waist so that it, it's smaller, put a nose a clip on your nose so fina, like all of these things that can be um, curious about vanity, but then also, but close your legs, be good, don't ever cross your legs in church, don't ever, like, you can't have a boyfriend until you're a PhD, like, I'm just like, I don't understand what the direction is, be sexy, know how to dance sexily, know how to do these things, but then it was so confusing, and then growing up, where I grew up, where you're getting hollered at all the time, and it's, you know, it's like, oh, but it's un piropo, it's because you're pretty, and I'm like, but it, but it doesn't feel good, right, it calls an attention that I don't know how to deal with, because I'm 12, and he's 40, like, that's a strange dynamic, to have or or I'm 12 and now he's mad and he's yelling or he's following me or so the poet Xiomara's questions what she the honesty with which she's looking at things and saying, I'm so confused. I, I felt like I just wanted to capture those questions. No answers, because I don't think there are easy answers. Because that same piropo, you're like, the next time you don't get it, you're like, wait, am I not cute today? Like, <laughs> I'm cute, right? That, 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 that it's complicated. It's not one easy way that, yeah, dancing and learning the sensuality of your body young is actually incredibly beautiful. So at 14, 15, be able to say, like, I can own this on a floor and be able to move the way I want to. And this is mine. And this music is mine. Like, that was incredible, informative. But it's how do we um, package that for young people so that there's clarity, right, in the double standards. And so I wanted Siomara to have that. So I would say that those questions were, were mine. And I consulted my notebook. So a lot of the poems, or not a lot, but some of the poems in the Poet X come directly from my notebook when I was in high school. Um, so I, I plagiarized myself a little bit. Um, <laughs> 
but it felt important to be able to calibrate that voice because this was for teens, right? This is not an adult novel, and I didn't want it to sound like adult me. I wanted it to still be in line with how a young person would sound. But no, I don't have a twin brother. Um, my mom was not violent in, in that capacity. Um, my best friend was not the good one. <laughs> she was not the one who's thinking like Santita, right? So a lot of it, the plot is slightly different. I did get caught kissing on the train. <laughs> Yeah. Wait a minute, that sounds like a juicy story. Oh, <laughs> what train? Can you tell a little? The one train. I had lied too. That was the thing. I like called my mother. I was like, oh, I have basketball practice. And then was walking around with my little boyfriend. But I was still like raised to be super prim and proper. So I'm like, I can't go to his house, right? He clearly can't come to mine. Riverside Park is overdone, right? Like, we're not doing that. So I'm like, well, let's just take the train home together. So we walked for a little bit. We took the one train uptown. And I don't know, I got home and my father's like, se lo estaba comiendo. <laughs> we were like, it's like the, the window was here and he was on the other window. Like, just like, no, and then it's like, I literally that, that verbatim in the poetics, it's, se lo estaba comiendo, I had to get off the train to stop early, and that's exactly what he said, like, I couldn't even watch it. And then they didn't talk to me for two weeks, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you can't go to Brown University, you're just going there so that you can, like, have sex with boys. I was like, no one goes to Brown University <laughs> to have sex with boys. That's not why you go to Brown. <laughs> but it was this big, this is why you want to go away, because you want to be able to kiss on trains. Yes, that's why. Is that what you did when you went away to school? I kissed boys. Yeah. <laughs> that was well, the point. <laughs> we would like to thank Elizabeth Acevedo one time for this amazing woman. The Latinos Out Loud podcast. Hey, America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers. There have never been more options for your next vehicle, but the right choice has never been clearer. That's because Toyota has a high-performing hybrid built for your exact needs, like the stylish all-new Camry XSE Hybrid and Venza, the spacious Highlander and all-new Sienna with more cargo space, and the fuel-efficient and high-performing RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota hybrids save you time and money, filling up less often at the gas station. And of course, all with 10-year, 150,000-mile warranty on new models. Take the next step. Visit Toyota toyota.com slash hybrid or your local toyota dealership to learn more london stock exchange group is here to be your essential global markets infrastructure and data partner where open isn't just a platform but a philosophy giving you the freedom to make your mark in the world lsec open makes more possible